0: Support for this episode of Good One comes from the Wondery podcast, WikiHole. You know what a WikiHole is. We've all been there. You look up a certain celebrity, to see how tall they are and whether they've said anything cringe about vaccines. Before you know it, you're 10 minutes into reading about something called a toast sandwich. And that's basically what it's like to listen to WikiHole, only funnier. Every episode is a new rabbit hole to explore with host Darcy Carden and her favorite comedian friends loaded with unforgettable new information you'll literally never need to know. And that's why it's great. Follow WikiHole on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to WikiHole ad-free by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts.
1: Hi, I'm Ben. I suffer from a condition called writer's block. It strikes when I'm at work. That's why I choose Canva Magic Write. It works fast
0: Hello, and welcome to Good One, a podcast about jokes. I'm your host, Jesse David Fox. Not all comedy comes from tragedy or traumatic childhoods. People like to say stuff like that, but I know plenty of well-adjusted comedians, or at least not well-adjusted comedians who are able to come up with painless jokes. But it doesn't never happen. Uh, Comedy has the ability to take the worst thing that ever happened to people and make it laughable, like, like literally laughable. And think about what that does for that comedian. Think about what that does for someone in the audience who can relate. Today's joke is such an example. Uh, our guest is Rosebud Baker, whose debut hour special, Whiskey Fists, came out earlier this week. I won't give too much preamble because I want you to have whatever reaction to this joke you're going to have. But I, I will give a warning that the joke is about... Um, death of a family member, I'll, I'll say that. And, and then Rosebud and I talk about death just like a whole lot this episode with a certain looseness and irreverence that I know is like not for everyone. But I love this episode and I hope you do as well. So here is Rosebud Baker.
2: Yeah, <laughs> we've been through a lot of shit together. A lot of shit. I have one sister that passed away and she passed away a long time ago, 18 years ago. So I want everybody to know, everyone's okay in the family, you know, especially her. I mean, I've never been dead, but I could use a forever nap. I'm fucking tired. And I've never heard her complain about it. So no news, no news is good news. Anyways, she is the sister I get along best with. She's a good listener. (laughs) Whenever I say I have a dead sibling, and anybody with a dead family member can probably relate to this, people get real fucking weird. They get so overly sympathetic. It's like, you feel like they lost someone. I don't know if this has happened to you, but whenever I say I have a dead sibling, they go, how did she die? I'm like, she drowned. And then they go, How did she drown? (laughs) Like, it's water. Uh, It wasn't Willy Wonka's chocolate river. (laughs) But I realized they're not asking, how did she drown? They're asking where did she drown? That's really what they're asking. And they can't ask it like that, because then it just sounds like they're going to go look for her. (laughs)
3: Like
2: start a search party. So I have to fill in the blanks, and I hate filling in the blanks of this part of the story because ah, this is tragic and awful. Worst thing that happened to my family. But my sister drowned in a jacuzzi, (laughs) which is like a really festive place to drown. (laughs) It throws off the story, guys. It's like hearing somebody got shot in the head with a t-shirt cannon. It makes it seem less sad. It does, and I want people to know that it was sad, you know. But if you hear somebody (laughs) died in a boating accident, and then you hear it was a private yacht, you know, somewhere in the back of your mind, you go, nice, (laughs) not bad. (laughs) The jacuzzi is where I lost my virginity to make it special. And she took that from me. (laughs) So who's the real victim? (laughs) I was at the funeral. I turned to my sister, the living one, and... uh, The other one could have been there, I'm not sure. Uh, I turned to her, I go, hey, uh, why are we all wearing black? And she goes, it's to honor the dead. And I was like, why? She goes, it's what the dead would have wanted. (laughs) I was like, well, I feel like if we're wearing what the dead would have wanted, we'd all be in life jackets. (laughs) Are you okay, sir? Are you having a good time? Yeah, I was gonna say, tell your face if you are. Fuck. I was like, why isn't this Netflix? man i i do have a i have a dark sense of humor you know and you seem like a good guy with like a good heart and you know what they say about good people they have the best senses of humor um
0: so i am here with rosebud baker thank you for being here
2: thank you for having me (laughs) um
0: so before we start i just
2: did the sincere the sincere thank you and we missed it (laughs) yeah yeah Yeah,
0: no we like to have the fake. Thank you, just to sort of as a momentum to start. We don't want the real yeah. one. That's, to me, that's yeah. too <laughs> genuine as a starting point. Um, right. I should also say, as before we get into speaking of genuine starting point, uh, as we're about to talk about your sister's death a lot, I, I do want to say I'm really sorry that happened. That sucks. Um, it's, Thank <laughs> you. Yeah, it's a really bad <laughs> thing. And I feel like I should acknowledge that because we're about to like right. very technically talk about how you use this thing to make material. I want to also yeah. get on the record that I feel bad that it happened.
3: <laughs> yes,
2: you're a good person. Thank cool. you so much. I Check. appreciate it, Jesse. <laughs> no, thank you. I appreciate that.
0: So um, we, we sort of have where the joke ended and the sort of finished product. And, you know, if we think of this as a, a sculpture, you know, the real thing is sort of the the raw clay. Uh, <laughs> and, and and so much of what you're comfortable with, um, can you tell the sort of non-comedy story so we have a sense of like what, you had to, when you were trying to make this into a joke, what you had to try to pull from?
2: Ooh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> this is why this joke took so long to write is yeah. because the details of it are not funny at all. I mean, the first thing is that my sister was seven years old when she died. Um, So she was very young and it happened at a, at a graduation party for, my high school graduation.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: So you can imagine why I carried this for a long, long time. In fact, I carried it for so like I had something called delayed grief mm. where um when you suppress your own grief for long enough, it starts to manifest as um different different disorders. And um <laughs> and that to me was great news because mm. i wanted to be anything but sad. Yeah, yeah. And um i at one point was like diagnosed as bipolar and was like, oh, great. I'm I'm a complicated genius. <laughs> um <laughs> like and i just thought, oh, that's that's way better than just being like having to talk about my sister dying yeah. at a high school graduation for my high school. Um you know, i I felt a lot of guilt like I went there with my whole family. We were in a friend's backyard. there was a pool and there was a uh, a hot tub adjacent to the pool. I come from money
3: mm-hmm.
2: and um <laughs> and my sister was playing in this hot tub and I didn't know I didn't know this, but you know how there's like the signs outside of hot tubs that are like, well, first of all, there's one that's like, please don't poop in the hot tub. And then there's another one that's like, if you're under 16, don't go in the hot tub. yeah um unaccompanied and uh you know since this was like in someone's yard there was no sign like that um but there was a drain that her hair got caught in at the bottom of the hot tub and that drain was so powerful that not three grown man- men couldn't pull her out of it and um by the time they did get her out she was uh she was put in a helicopter um, flown to a hospital and pronounced dead I think before they arrived mm. um and it was like a nightmare I mean my mom was there my sisters were there and I I had left that party early to go to a different party to mm-hmm. like because there was like a friend of mine was also having a graduation party so I didn't want to miss out on that and I so I went I like dipped out did an Irish goodbye literally. Yeah. Um, and then my sister really showed me up on the Irish goodbye front and decided to just fucking die. And I um and I uh I I like carried that with me for years for for so many years. Just like I felt awful about it. Um yeah Yeah, I mean that's 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 that's, a sad story. Yeah.
0: Um when you in the devil's uh devil's advocate which is a podcast you used to have you'd you sort of would start conversations often with like what was the traumatic thing that made you a comedian and and i am i don't need the sort of literal story of how you became a comedian but how did you sort of like spiritually become a comedian if this is some sort of part of this sort of journey of it like sort of it seems like this is connected when you sort of tell your story of like where a lot of your your voice and perspective came from, sort of how would you describe that? How what changed yeah. or what happened that made you sort of a, a comedian from then on forward, even when you weren't one for another like 10 years or so?
2: Yeah. Um, well, I think that, you know, I don't think something bad has to happen to you necessarily for you to be a comic. but. um, I do think that in my case, that's, that, that's true. Um, I think I was growing up, I was always very silly, Mm -hmm. but I, I, I became a comic almost like by accident. I didn't really want to be funny. A lot of my life was spent trying to be taken seriously and, and then failing at it. And, um, and then kind of, you know, as you grow up, you just accept who you are, and you accept the way that the world interacts with you. And if you're lucky, you embrace that. Yeah. yeah. And I think that's how I became a comic.
0: Yeah. And um in 2018, you were in a docu series called Inside Jokes that followed you and some other comics' journey to becoming new faces at the Just for Last Comedy Festival. For those who uh, don't know. New Faces is sort of like a big milestone on the path up is like the basic way of describing what it is. But um, Mm -hmm. in it, you said, you you know, it seemed like you were asked about if you would ever make jokes about this. And you you said something really interesting, which was, um, it takes a skill level that I don't have yet. And it takes a level of healing that I don't think I've gotten to. Um, I want to ask you about both of what that meant. But in general, sort of how... As we're talking about, like right before you wrote this joke, how did those things relate, both your sort of skill as a comedian and as it relates to sort of your healing? What were you sort of thinking at that time before you ventured into doing this?
2: Yeah. So, um, I, right after, uh, right after I finished shooting that, I, I had a dog in that, that her name was Alabama. Mm.
3: And,
2: um, I, Loved that dog more than anything in the world. I loved that dog so much. And right after we finished shooting Inside Jokes, I woke up one morning and she was having a seizure on the end of my bed. She was having like a seizure Mm -hmm. that wouldn't stop. It's called like a grand mal seizure. And um, she died. And I think that on some level, the way that I grieved her death was bigger than
3: mm.
2: y- bigger than, that. Yeah. you know, there was, um, a lot of, I, I really grieved her death. You know, I filled my house with like photos of her. I woke up in the middle of the night crying. I was, I was really, really messed up, mm-hmm. um, losing this dog. And, and that's not to say that she wasn't that important to me. I think she really was but I felt a connection to, and I don't know how to explain this, but I almost felt like a connection to my sister with her, Mm. not in the, not in some kind of like she's my sister's spirit or anything like that. I just know that when I was like around her, I felt this kind of like, I felt better about stuff. And, um, and and so when she died i think it kind of opened up uh those there was like cracks in the in my heart <laughs> you know and i <laughs> and and all of it kind of came flooding out and i think that that really truly helped me yeah kind of just physically let go of a lot of the grief that i was carrying around cuz i do think that we carry that stuff in our bodies um, especially if we haven't verbally worked it out yeah. or or cried very much. Yeah, you
0: know? I, I imagine it's like um, I recently injured myself and um, as a result in the healing, I you get scar tissue or whatever and the person's like, it's just never going, that's not going to heal. It's just going to be sort of, your leg is going to be worse because it sort of has that and it's easier to injure. And it does sound as you describe it, it was like you healed not great the first time but you did it you like glued your your heart closed or whatever yeah so then it was like ready to rupture when just like anything else similar happened and similarly like and i imagine it was like this dog represents some sort of connection that you had that maybe mirrored the type of connection you might have had and then it just sort of all was then present so then you so was it like you're present with it then you're like i need to do something with this i'm now can't escape talking about this
2: well, I started talking about it was a lot that I was going through at that time. It was like my dog died, and and my cat had died, and then my boyfriend and I broke up, and I was like, "Whoa, like, whoa!" A lot of things are happening. Like, I was like, <laughs> and this is true in my life in general that like when disaster happens, it happens big. Mm-hmm. It doesn't ever. It's never like one small disaster. It's always like. Three things on top of each other, you know, like my parents get separated. My sister dies. My dad brings a girlfriend to the funeral. You know what I mean? I'm like, what the? F-? So it's, it's never like, it's never just a simple. Yeah. It, it, if my dog just had a seizure, I'd, I would almost go back and be like, yeah, just my dog had a seizure. And yeah, yeah, and she died. But like, it was all these things at the same time. And so I think like I I kind of. I was forced to talk about all of that because it was all consuming. My whole life was changing. And uh and none of my jokes worked. Mm-hmm. Like I was outgrowing my jokes very quickly. And yeah. um and I love that about jokes is that you the second that they, they're done, you kind of outgrow them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's, Sometimes it, before they're done. <laughs>
0: um Before we we get into the sort of the what you need to do to sort of then make this funny, you Mm -hmm. um I always say that like when people win awards, they should thank their therapist. When they write books, they in their acknowledgments, they should thank their therapist. And not just because like it makes them happy or whatever, but I do feel like a lot of creative people like either like literally bounce ideas off them or sort of like if your work is internal, they're part of like the processing mechanics. Um, I feel like you do talk about having good relationship with your therapist. Are they? Do you feel like they are part of your creative process?
2: Um, yes, very much so. I mean you you can't really you can't really separate what's going on subconsciously from your creative process. Yeah. So I feel like if someone's saying that they're not involved, that they don't have a therapist. Yeah. I mean, um, you know, I. I just I love my therapist. I've been with him for like 8 years. I so much so that our relationship is complicated. Like I I got upset about how much money he was making during the pandemic and stopped talking to him for a few months. So <laughs> it wasn't the healthiest choice, <laughs> you know, but we talked about it. Yeah. And, and uh and it turned out that it really wasn't about any of that at all and sure. it was about yeah, something course. completely different. But um you're right. I would totally thank him. If I wrote a book, I would totally thank him Yeah, for that. Although, yeah. I wouldn't thank him for my jokes because everything he thinks is funny is not funny. <laughs> like, like, I, and I've told him that before. So if he's listening to this now, <laughs> he's always like, that's funny. Yeah. I'm like, no, it's really not.
0: <laughs> Did I mean, was there... I guess, I guess the question before we sort of move on is, was there a, was it literally like there was a, I mean, in so much as before you, in, as I said, in the inside jokes quote, you were like, oh, I need to sort of get to this point and then I'll be able to do it. It seems like sort of the opposite happened, which was, I think maybe you were like, oh, there'll be a breakthrough. And then once I have that breakthrough, time to start writing a joke down. But instead it seemed like the opposite, which is like, I now can't avoid writing jokes a- around this. <laughs> is <Yeah>. that correct? <laughs>
2: Yes. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. I was, um, you know, I, I realized like how I realized the benefit of being very raw on stage. And, and I think it helped me because I kind of dropped this whole thing that I was doing in inside jokes, which when I watch it, I see it. I don't know if, you know, I don't really care if other people see it or not, but like, the, when I watch it, I'm like, oh, I can see myself doing an impression of a comedian. Mm. But when I watch what myself a year later, right after all this stuff had happened, I was like, oh, that's me. Yeah. Like I was unhinged (laughs) and and that's much closer to who I am. Yeah. You know,
0: I want to back up so we can get a sense of the, and I almost never do this, but I am very curious. So. For the lack of a better term, you are you can tell darker jokes. We'll get into what that means or doesn't mean later. But did you start out in that area? Like, or were you starting out and like doing it's hard to know, like talking about dating and just, just dating's weird, but you weren't trying to go that angle? Like, and was there sort of a point where you're like, oh, this is sort of what works for me? Before we talk about how it evolved, but like, is when did that start, or was that just sort of always what it was?
2: well, i I when I first started, I was doing just jokes about whatever I wanted to learn how a joke worked. Mm. so I was just doing technically things that I knew were funny and and just trying to to I was like, well, even if i'm um even if I'm not interesting i'll 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 say people will be able to say oh she's she's at least te- technically good, yeah, and so um i I was kind of doing jokes like that, and then I started to do a show in New York called Roast Battle, where comics would go on stage and they would they would roast each other and we would we would interview each other and we would find out like all about each other's histories and pasts and then nothing was really off limits. I mean aside from what the other comic told you was not yeah cool, you were allowed to joke about anything you wanted. Mm. And I was hearing jokes about some of the worst things that had ever happened to me and they were funny. Yeah. And I was like, Oh my God, there's something about this that is really appealing to me that to, to laugh and to joke about the worst things that have ever happened feels like getting revenge on God or something. Sure. You know, like this didn't end me. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, And, um, you know, yeah, I can't take back that it happened, but I can laugh at it, yeah. and I can and I can laugh at jokes about it. And that, to me, was really um kind of redemptive. That's how I got there, so
0: so you start doing it, and then that that shift of I'm doing an impression of a comedian who does this type of jokes to like, that is who I am, and that is the and the perspectives are comparable, but ultimately, like that's just who I am. What is? Is there technical differences? Is it stylistic difference? Like if you were to categorize like z- what that shift was or what you were comfortable learning to do or became more comfortable doing, w- how would you say what happened to a person who might not notice? Like I when you talk about it, I think I can see, but like w- if you're trying to explain to what that shift looks like, what does it look like?
2: Wow, that's a good question. I feel like there's, I mean, physically it's very obvious because there's a relaxation that happens, Mm. um, in your body, you know? And so, so you recognize that. And it's almost like when you hear a a tuning fork, like it, if you just hit a tuning fork and it, and you hit it in the right place, the whole thing vibrates. Yeah. That's kind of, that's like the best like comparison I can think of is like, if there was a tuning fork in me, Mm. When that happened, it was like you hit that and it's just like you don't everything else just takes care of itself. Um, Those jokes started to come out of me organically. And of course, there was writing that that I would start with writing. I would start with just jokes and then I would be on stage telling them. And because they were coming from a real place. I mean, things would come out of that that were just natural.
0: Yeah. It was, it's easier to extend a joke because ultimately you're just talking. It's just like, it's an open source material. Like it's ultimately like, here's how my brain is processing this. So if, if it goes one way, you can just keep on going that instead of like, if you have a script that is, that you're following, then obviously like, well, I told the joke, the joke is over now, move on to the next joke.
2: Right. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's the best way to say it. But I also feel um, sort of like an idiot talking like someone who has like figured it out, you know, like because there's definitely a chance. I mean, well, there's a guarantee that when I watch even my special, I'm going to be like, that's not who I am now, you know. Um, it's,
0: it's, so. it's it's exciting because it will be like in a few years but like everything I thought I knew about who I was as a comedian was completely wrong but we don't know who that yeah. comedian is yet and right. so like and I can't interview them yet Um, but I am excited <laughs> it is one of the fun things about comedians is like anytime they're there to do it you have to have a certain certainty that like what you're doing is sort of correct and then that changes every couple of years and, and but you then have a new certainty yes. um yeah so, where did, so where, what was the sort of beginning of what you took on stage of this? When, like, what was the spark of, like, I'm going to do it. What's the first thing? Like, how does this start? How does the process of we know where to end it? Ended, like, where, what kernel do you start with? What do you write down? Do you just go up and talk? Like, what is sort of the really beginning of this joke? Um, Well,
2: the beginning of this joke was the idea that, um, I have a dead sister and that I was in the middle of a fight with another one of my sisters. And I, and I thought to myself, um, you know, my dead sister is the one I get along best with. And, um, I was like, God, I wish they were all as easy to get along <laughs> with as, <laughs> as the dead one, you know? Um, of course I wasn't wishing them dead, but yeah, it was yeah. one of those fights, you know, where I was like, ah, <laughs> um, and a, it, siblings fights can be rough, you know? So, and, and I, so I just started from that place of like, I was really mad mm. and I was trying not to say something too mean. Um, and, and that just came out of me. Yeah. And then I thought, oh, that's how the joke's going to start. Yeah. That, and then I got further and further into it. And I started writing about like how I felt about the fact, like how she died, mm. which was like, you know, how you feel when somebody asks, how did your sister die? And you have to say, um, she drowned by jacuzzi, like what that feels like and how that, and why that's so uncomfortable. And, and like, I started to look into that and I was like, oh, there's all kinds of funny stuff in there. Yeah. And then, you know, that's, that's sort of how I, how I got into the whole fact that it's a, it's a really festive place and the comparisons. Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, those were obviously like written, I came up with a bunch of comparisons and I think the one that I thought was the best was the t-shirt cannon line. And and then, um, and then how it affected my sense of humor, what it, what it did to me, Mm. um, how I felt at the funeral. There's, there's still more jokes that there's still so much meat on the bone. When I look at that joke about how I felt when you when you see a dead body, mm. because when you see a dead body in the movies, they look alive. And when you see a dead body in real in real life, they, they look dead. They look really dead. And I remember looking at one of my sisters and one of them being like, oh, she'd be so pissed about this. She looks like shit. And. I remember being like, yeah, I don't think that's the thing that she would be pissed about. Um, (laughs) Like probably the casket would be the first thing. Um, But like all, all of that just started to come out Mm. from me writing without trying to be funny, me writing, looking into like what, what parts of this were uncomfortable and kind of, drawing funny out of that.
0: Yeah. And then, so then what is the process? Do you like, okay, I have this one joke, I'll try it out on stage. You talk to people first, like, especially with the thing, like, what is, you know, what is the Rosebud way of writing comedy at this point?
2: (laughs) At this point, um, well, it's so, it's so odd because (laughs) the last couple jokes like I just wrote a joke now that's so not um it's so silly compared Mm -hmm. to everything else I've written about um and it's all about uh why I don't suck dick and um (laughs) how how I learned that I'm bad at it and Mm -hmm. the whole thing is like and it's all coming from this place of like deep deep embarrassment because the truth is like when you're not good at Uh, oral sex you never find out in a way that's nice you know you always (laughs) you always find out when it's too late Mm -hmm. and um you've just been (laughs) walking around your whole life pretending that you do this well Mm -hmm. and um and not even pretending that I do this well just pretending that I do this yeah yeah. you know and um and really just miming it in a way and like and and so it's all, I think it's all coming from, I start with the, with the feeling.
3: Mm.
2: And from there, I try to write like I'm not trying to be funny. Mm. I try to write and, and just see if there's something funny in my sincerity, because that's how I found out I was funny. You know, it was me trying to, be taken seriously and yeah. be, just people laughing at me. <laughs> so I thought rather than try to write to be funny, why don't I write um, and see what is funny in it?
3: Yeah.
0: It's interesting. Cause essentially it's like, there's, I think that's such a clear difference of, Oh, I'm a comedian. I have to write something funny and, and, I am funny as a comedian, so I have to write something that is me. Yeah. And then I will make sure the funny parts of me are the parts that I bring on stage. Um, so w- so with... I want to go through each section of this joke. If there's like three or four, depending on how you do it. And so you have the... She's the sister that gets you get along best with. And that sort of... It builds to that, but you sort of have to start, which is sort of, I had a sister who passed away. And then... Um, the beginning of the joke is that, you know, everyone's okay, you know, especially her. And then that sort of like builds to eventually getting to this. So how did you, how did you do that? How did you like play with like, what are the challenges of like how do I bring this up? How do I make sure they're not so distracted by this information? Like, what do they need to know? How did you work that?
2: The first thing that I had to do was uh was be like, this is sad. Um, I'm giving them sad information. Mm-hmm. So all I all I can say to to make them feel better in this situation is that it happened a long time ago, and that everyone else in my family is all right. And then I thought, well, she's very all right. Like she's good. You know what I mean? Like yeah. uh, you hear all the time that like death is is hardest for the living. You know, I I really agree with that. I think that it's probably very relaxing <laughs> and. And so I, I, um, I, I just went with that. Yeah. You know?
0: Yeah. There's there, this, this joke has two versions of this, but this, this section especially has, um, there's a way in which you do tags and stuff in jokes, which is a signature to you <laughs> in my mind, like from spending a couple days watching yours, it's just like, which is, there's two things that are the. Rosebud Baker signature way of doing tags, which is one. (laughs) It's always like slightly earlier than I think another comedian would. You sort of step on the laughs a little bit, um, in a way that's kind of like, um, oh, you think that's good? We got more joke coming. Like it's very cool. And then the other thing you do, and this seems like it's sometimes the punchline is like four tags in. Like you don't go in the normal order, where it's like the biggest. Punchline in this, which is the sort of she's a sister I get along best with, is like, it comes off like you're going to do another tag. You're like, oh, anyway, she's a sister I get, and then that's the big. That's actually the laugh of the thing. Um, mm-hmm. One, I it's hard to. I don't know what the question is, like, um, but <laughs> one, I am, aren't I correct that you do that? But also, um,
3: how <laughs> how, do, how do you think
0: about it? Like, what is the rhythm that you feel like you're getting at? What do you like about? That sort of, it's like these sort of short sentences and yeah, I don't know like how I would describe like that style, but it is a thing that you do and I think it really works. You get like this like rollicking laughter opposed to just like pop, pop, pop.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Well, one thing that I, annoys me when I watch like some comedy is that I'll notice a comic like Pause before the punchline comes so that the audience knows they're supposed to laugh yeah, yeah. and I, it's like I want to just say it and then let it get the laugh yeah. and like sometimes it gets a big one and sometimes it doesn't um, I think that if it, it's kind of like I want it to feel organic Yeah. Um, because it is very written yeah. you know um, and so when you're when you've written stuff, I I feel like you can either go very slowly to make it feel to to really feel your way through it. I think Michael Che is like a perfect example of yeah. that, where he's like he he takes his time and every time he does it, it feels like a brand new thing.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And um and then but I I'm a little more like I'll go I'll go to the next one. OK, then yeah. the next one and the next one. And so. Um, I'm not gonna lie. I think part of it is just serial impatience that I that I struggle with. Sure, yeah. <laughs> but um, the other thing is like just wanting to avoid that like, and here it comes. Yeah, that that yes. weird rehearsed pause that happens sometimes. Yeah. So it's,
3: yeah, it's definitely. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I think it. it it's just a cooler thing to do and like less like performance y to be like, I'm just here it is. Like I'm just gonna say it. It's like not, you're not like deadpan, but there is a sort of like um matter of fact, this is it. And and we're going on, like I'm we're on to the next one already. This is what this is the time I want to communicate it. You'll like, um yeah, it's it's I think that's that does explain that. I'm sure. I think 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 that. I think
2: that it's also like there's when you're talking about something as um, unsettling as death. Yeah. You know, I think people if they get if they get too much time to think about it, then they start to get sad. Yeah. You know, and it's like, I I try to just do it like, yeah, this happens. This is as much a part of life as going to the store. You know, it's just more surprising. Yeah. um unless you die in the store and then what <laughs> like you know what i'm saying yeah you
0: yeah, know definitely the yeah because then you have to get a balance where you you say something that they laugh at so that they get they're in the pl- that space and you can't get them back to the beginning of the joke where they were you're creating the tension of them feeling bad or just like or just taking in the information You have to maintain that pace or they will stop. They
2: start asking questions. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah.
0: Like they'll just be like, please tell me more. And like, oh, no, you have to listen. I'm just talking right now.
2: Right. Uh, I'm a a car salesman. Yeah. I'm the car salesman of comedy. (laughs) I'm just going to keep hitting you with information. You're not going to have a second to think about it. (laughs) Um,
0: The next section, uh, it might be my favorite because it just really is – so uh correct in terms of what it's like to tell people you have lost a relative like and it's it's a it's a to capture this thing where people you know they're doing their best and they're being nice and and it's the worst yeah and it's so bad and it's like (laughs) they're doing nothing wrong and in the moment. When they're being nice, you can't be like, I don't like this because they're being nice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so they, and they don't even like doing it, but there's sort of no other option of like how to behave in that situation. Um, mm-hmm. And so you just sort of play it, like what it, you, to play and do an impression of what they look like because they don't is where, yeah. you know, it's like, it's, you don't have tons of like more act outy things, but it like what, what were you hoping for in that section? was it ever longer was it shorter how did that sort of develop
2: I didn't want to take too much time with it like I I didn't really want to go so far into it cuz the truth is like when I think about it I get mad and I and I start focusing on being right more than being funny yeah so I I just wanted to do I just wanted them to see what they look like when they're doing it you know and I know that that's not making it easier. I know I'm not giving them a better solution, but there's there's also just the option of being like, oh, oh, that's terrible. Yeah. You know what I mean? And and nobody does that when someone's died. They just go, oh, I'm so sorry. And they like lean over like they knew them or something. And I'm like, why am I comforting you? Oh, Always. Like, I'm the one who's hurting, you know? So that was the, that was really the, and that's where I get into it not being funny anymore. Cause yeah. I just start, I just start uh, proselytizing about it and being like, this is not the way you do things. Um, I just thought that was like the best way to do it was just, just do a little show them what it looks like.
0: <laughs> yeah. Can you talk a little bit more about your, that, the balance between being right and being funny, like obviously you don't, it's not like you're trying to be wrong, but there is that point of like, one comedian's being right and that energy that it seems like you try to avoid. Can you talk more about, were there times where you did that way, where you're in an audience and then you realize like, oh, I just weirded them out by how intensely angry I am about this and it's hard yeah. to get them back?
2: Um. Yeah, that's happened more since the pandemic because I was so confused on stage and I was I was performing for these people that were like just didn't had like never heard of covid and yeah. I was like why am I doing this I would just stop in the middle of a show <laughs> and be like why am I here and obviously they didn't have the answer I don't know why I was asking them yeah but it was just this weird I would just start to spin off and none of it was funny yet And all of it was just so, um, I was depressed is really what was happening. And I was like, what's, what's the point of any of this? And like, and now it's started to, now I'm like, oh, I see why I Mm. see what was funny in that time period. But at the time I just feel like, like I should apologize to every audience member. But, um, I, I've definitely done that. I've, I've gone on stage and, um, and started trying to get into a premise, but ended up just trying to prove my premise right rather than have fun with it. Yeah. And the truth is like a premise is always right. The premise is right on its own. And then the punchline is the surprise. So I'm doing it wrong, you know? (laughs) I'm just doing it wrong. Yes. If the
0: premise was, they already hypothetically agree with the premise or agree that it's, your truth or whatever that you that can it's like, my truth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're like, got it. We are agreed. You don't have to. We don't need to be you to he- understand this joke. You know, yes, they they just exactly. need to know that it's you. um Right. The so the next part, which is the sort of the big, the biggest laugh section, which is about the jacuzzi. The thing about this, which is, you have to get them to laugh when you s- reveal that she died in a jacuzzi, and that mm-hmm. is the hardest thing of that you had to do, I met in this joke, which is you're just gonna <laughs> tell them the truth and you have to let them react to it being so talk about the work to build it up. Steps that went wrong. I imagine there's also like you've got an array of reactions, you know, what, oh, yeah. what what was it like to work on that to be because and was that the goal where you're like, I want them just to to already understand how like hilariously sad and unbelievable it is.
3: So
2: ideally, um, they laugh when I say that ideally, yeah. but best case scenario, I feel like maybe 10 people laugh and they're always nervous to do it. Right. Um, but if the, but if the audience laughs at that, if I even hear some of them laughing at that, there are, that's how I know that they're already, they get it. Yeah that they get where I'm coming from because that was sort of a period. I was like, they don't have to laugh at this. This is just, this is the moment in my set where things kind of slow down. Yeah. And I, and I just go, okay, here's the, here's the fact of the matter is, you know, if you had to say it, how would you feel? (laughs) It's, this is, it's a bad thing. Yeah. Yeah but this is where it happened. <laughs> like like it's one of those things where they've asked a simple question and then I don't have a simple answer. I would love to have a simple answer and I could just go, she drowned and I try that and then they go, how? And so it, it always leads to more questions. Yeah, yeah. So it's like, I felt like if it stops at, at the jacuzzi and things just go silent for a second, that's not the worst thing. You know, yeah, because I think the the next part it it always helps.
0: yeah, it's like if you it's really interesting to listen to the audience throughout all of this joke because it's not everyone's deciding on their own where they're gonna laugh. But in this thing where it's like you hear a few and that's enough so that when you get to the like the clear like joke parts of it, everyone's like, okay, well, we can laugh at this. like we're so yeah you have the people who found all of it funny and they're gonna laugh because they're having a ball. And then there's the people who are so nervous about the first part that now that you just brought up a fake thing, they're like, great. Yeah. <laughs> now I'm just happy yeah. we're not talking about this real thing anymore.
2: Right, exactly. Yeah, they want, it's like drawing that comparison allows them to f- see what's silly about it. And, it. and it kind of like, what what makes me feel so good about this joke is it reminds me of this moment in my friend's car where this was before I'd ever written A joke about my sister, but I was with him and he was like, God damn. He was like, how many sisters do you have? And I was like, four. And then I was like, well, three. And then the dead one. And there was like a pause in the car. And both of us just started hysterically laughing and yelling that we were going to hell. And like, but like, I remember that laugh feeling so good. I had never had that with anyone about this particular Mm. thing. And the fact that he was able to laugh as hard as i was was like it felt so good yeah. to have that and and every time i tell this joke when the audience laughs with me i i feel that same mm. like thank you you know
0: yeah is the virginity part real or is that just contrast
2: no that was that was all just contrast cool. that was
0: like <laughs> color it in cool no it 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 was I was like I wonder that'd be unbelievable it truly but if that was true I guess that'd be like you're then you'd have to do like a one-person show for someone sure yeah (laughs) but it's like you had to capture what jacuzzis mean and it's like it is like a teenager's idea of like what romance is or like what fanciness is
3: (laughs) right
2: (laughs) yeah what fanciness is it's perfect
0: (laughs) And then you, yes. and that contrast Teenagers
2: is, from Long Island.
0: Yeah. Hey,
2: <laughs> how dare you. <laughs> I knew it.
0: <laughs> how dare you disrespect me when I was a kid. Um, so the the funeral joke and said, so you're building to life jackets, which I, I think probably is like what I would call like the most classically dark joke of the thing. Um, mm-hmm. And you're setting it up. It's a. It's also the joke where it's like a joke is coming at the end of this. Um, can you talk about uh, developing it, building to it? Where was there more stuff about the funeral? What do you like about it? Sort of where, um, you know, what was the writing of that like? What did you? How did you land on that?
2: That was all very organic because it it happened. That was just like it was like a real moment where I was at my sister's funeral. And, um, you know, it, it kind of it also came out of that the story about like, oh, she would be so pissed mm. at how she looks right now. And I'm like, yeah, I feel like she'd just be pissed about how she is right now. Yeah. um Wait, so did you say
0: life life that? Did, is that verbatim a thing that happened or you commented on just sort of like, why are we wearing black?
2: It was it was like, why are we wearing black? Yeah. Like, it was like, why are we all why are we doing this? Because you get so. You know, when you're you're at a funeral and there's something so dissociative about it, um, and you're like, I don't know, what is this tradition? Mm. And also, like, why do we wait until they die to do it? Like, why, why do we, why don't we do this before people die so yeah. they can like hear us say the nice things? It's like throwing someone a party to celebrate their life. And they're not there. It's just the weirdest thing to me still. Yeah, yeah. You know, but I guess it's like you got to do something. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I think it's a lot of it. It's like truly like, oh, we have to literally do something and this is what we have. So we'll just do that thing.
2: Right. And then the casseroles thing that people I'm like, what is with death and casseroles? Like, why are those why does everyone need a casserole? Are they going to build a new dad like out of the casserole? What is going on?
0: <laughs> I will say the like having, you know, growing up Jewish, I have a variety of Shiva experiences and I do have, and for most part, most of the most funeral like things I've been to are Jewish funerals. So like there, the amount of food that is there, especially like growing up as like a fatter kid was like, I was like, I do have positive feelings about Shiva. So was like, It's a party where there's like nonstop food around. And I remember and so I I, but it's different when it's like I brought you this food because I felt like I'm supposed to give you a gift of a thing I made, which would I think would would weird me out opposed to like we like bought you pizzas or whatever. Um,
2: Yeah, it's just it's it's such a funny thing to be like, I'm sorry, your wife died. Here's here's a pasta
3: yeah you know what i mean
2: like it's like you're like what it's just funny to me i i haven't figured out why it's funny but it's just such a it's such a horrible substitute
0: yeah (laughs) well everything i mean ultimately like everything that is it's always this contrast right like if death is like this giant thing so everything we do to reckon with it is funny in comparison right like yeah so a Death and a jacuzzi is funny, but like death and like I made you this. Re- I had to look up a recipe. I had to like go to the grocery stores and buy ingredients for it <laughs> while you were crying. I had to like go to the store. Like it's just such yeah. a, the contrast is always funny because the thing next to it is like a, your relative died and this is what I was doing.
2: Yeah, it's like nothing can fix it, but here's a band aid. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> like yeah,
0: um, yeah. So the joke ends, and then you. There's a man in the the crowd who you chastised for. I assume he was not laughing or smiling or giving any. Oh, he was
2: having the worst time he's ever had. He was truly so upset. He, like arms crossed, had not cracked a smile the entire show. And I was like, I love this guy. Like I have to. I have to keep this guy. In the spe- and and especially because I was like, "Are you having fun?" And he was like, "No, <laughs>
0: <laughs> no," and I was like, "Perfect." Is, is there? He's not the same guy at, as the at the end of the special that says like you don't like. That's a different guy who's like. It's a different guy. So at the end of the special, the you inter- someone interviews a man who's there who says you try too hard to be edgy or something. Mm-hmm. Um, what? But both those things serve similar purposes. Of, at least to me, it's why include those things? Like, obviously, you can just have it be. We're like, I crushed and everyone loved it. Like, what? What does it mean to you to have the people who are like, I don't like this. These, I don't want you to be joking about this.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think. Well, it meant something different when I decided to do it than now. But like, it's here's what here's what it still means is like, comedy shows. Um, what I love about them, what makes them special to me, are those moments when something goes wrong. Mm. And I think that that is partly because of how I came up doing comedy. I did I was not doing comedy in Brooklyn. I was doing comedy and you, know, I wasn't really being supported. I was doing comedy um, by myself in uh, a, a club, I wouldn't even call it a club. I don't know what it is, but it's called LOL comedy club and it's in like midtown. Right. Yeah. And they have these barkers that tell you Tina Fey is going on stage. And it's like, Tina Fey doesn't do standup, but like these tourists don't like, they don't think about that. Yeah. So they go and they, they get up and they pay $8 for tap water. And then I come out and they're expecting Chris rock. And it's like, they're upset. They're not happy. And I did four to five shows every night in that club. and um I remain i I remember having five minutes of material and being left on stage for twenty minutes because the audience wouldn't stop fighting about their checks because they were being ripped off. Yeah, so I would leave that club, go home, and read the Yelp reviews of it to make myself feel better about how badly I'd done, you know, and I I wouldn't say all of this publicly if there hadn't been like articles in the New York Times about it, but like, I just, that feeling of like, this is something that I've worked so hard for, for seven years, eight years. I've put all of my time, energy, effort into this. It's all I've cared about. I've sacrificed just, I mean, I've missed like family graduations because I was on the road, you know, Yeah. And then I go and I shoot my special and it's the most important night I've had in these last eight to nine, I don't know, nine years now. And, um, and it doesn't go perfectly. Yeah. Like, and any imperfection, any sort of, um, negative reaction is devastating. (laughs) And, And I was like, that's, that's hilarious too. It's like this. Anytime I've ever taken myself seriously yeah, in any capacity, especially comedy, it's going to go wrong. So I, I just thought, why don't I just like, you know, we were sitting in the green room and I had no idea. I didn't have an idea for the intro. And I thought, oh, why don't we just get some footage of like the people standing in line outside? And, and then, and then I was like, I asked Aristotle, who's who was the director, Aristotle Ather- Atheris. Um, and I was like, can you can you just like ask them about how excited they are? And they they were all like, I don't, I don't actually know her. And like some of them had been comped. And I yeah. was like, put all of that in. I want every person who had never heard of me, I want in the beginning of the special. Because it reminded me of like old specials with Attel where, like, people would be standing in line being like, I can't wait to see Dave, you know? And, like, <laughs> this was just not that. Yeah. And, um, yeah, so I, I wanted to get that. I wanted to humble myself.
0: We'll be right back with more Rosebud Baker. Support for this episode of Good One comes from the Wondery podcast, WikiHole. Do you know when Crystal Pepsi was discontinued? Or what was in Al Capone's vaults? Or which famous meteorologist is Lenny Kravitz's second cousin? If not, then you haven't spent enough time on Wikipedia. But that's okay, because you can learn it all on the new podcast WikiHole from Smartless Media. Discover the craziest rabbit holes in Wikipedia with host Darcy Cardin and her favorite comedian friends as they bring the cyber frontier directly to your tympanic membrane. And if you listen to WikiHole, you would learn that that's the science-y term for eardrum. WikiHole is a hyperlink roller coaster, starting out on one Wikipedia page and then going from link to link to link to link to link, careening through trivia, oddities, and unexpected connections until everyone wonders, how did we get here? Follow WikiHole on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to WikiHole ad-free by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or an Apple Podcasts.
1: Canva presents stories to keep you up at night.
0: And we're back with Rosebud Baker. Um, I want to talk more um, broadly about, you know, why do a joke like this and sort of the value of darker jokes and dark comedy. But first, I want to play another clip from your special. This is from the start of special where you sort of really uh, give it to frontline medical workers.
2: I'm really hoping I can keep my fucking thoughts together. I, I started intermittent fasting this week. Uh, I like to call it White Ramadan. Um, That's (laughs) that's what I like to call it. Uh, I'm gonna say one thing about COVID and then that's it, all right? Because I've been in New York for a year and in New York, we would get on our rooftop every night at 7 p.m. at the beginning of the pandemic and we would clap for the healthcare heroes. That's what we would do, okay? Just jump up on our fucking fire escapes and this will fix it. You know, (laughs) it was a nice thing. It was for a month and then another month went by and then another month went by and then everybody was dead. And uh, we were still clapping. (laughs) I was like, this is starting to feel like we're cheering for the losing team folks. Uh, And don't get me wrong. I think it's a very sweet gesture if you you don't have COVID. but if I had COVID and I'm sitting in a hospital bed surrounded by people who can't cure me, and every night I'm listening to them get a fucking applause break, <laughs> I'd start to take it a little personally. <laughs> I'm lying on my deathbed, I gotta FaceTime my family to say goodbye, and they start clapping for the bitch holding up my iPad. <laughs> I'd be like, we're unplugging everything. I'm sorry to go for the healthcare heroes right away, but we've been sucking their dicks for so fucking long. <laughs> it's like, sorry if I don't want to clap for the only people who kept their jobs.
3: <laughs>
2: Did you guys see the video? There was a viral video of the nurses dancing to cheer up COVID patients. <laughs> Little insensitive, right? They can't breathe. I was like, do you guys walk a tightrope to cheer up the MS patients? What the fuck? Just <laughs> look what I can do day at the hospital? <laughs> I called up my sister, who's a nurse. I was like, hey, what's louder? Is it the ventilators or the sound of you guys patting yourselves on the back for your TikTok moves? <laughs> that's, all, that's all I wanted to say about that.
0: Periodically, people, I feel like, get mad online about certain jokes that aren't necessarily offensive and they're not necessarily punching down, but they sort of like treat subjects or people or things that are like rarefied and considered just sort of like all agreed to be good and you sort of treat it irreverently. Just that thing of like we're all – everyone agreed this is a good thing and just the fact that you're like, well, what if it's bad? That that alone is like – does not necessarily work sometimes. With people mm-hmm. online. And I'm not, and then like, and then it means like, I'm allowed to say whatever. And I feel like all of that is like kind of a useless dialogue. But I want to ask you, in, in, no, and especially know your experience, like what is the value of, of, for certain people, what does this do? Being able to talk about things like this, this way, what does it offer? What is this, why is there this impulse to do it? And what does it give you? What does it give the audience? What is the sort of like, you know, cultural what's the,
2: what's the value yeah 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 um well for me the value is just that it makes me laugh yeah you know like and um you know it's it's i mean when i say that i kept thinking about people that had to die by themselves listening to the people who were trying to help them get an applause break i'm like that Alone, if I were in that position, yeah, would strike me as like. I mean, even it was I I would be like, what the look, you know? And and then I thought like, and I was like walking around in the city, and I remember it was seven p.m. and I I live in Gramercy, and I was walking by the trucks Mm. that were filled with bodies. And 7 p.m. hit and everybody started. There's literally I heard someone blasting Billy Joel and dancing on their rooftop. And I just thought, okay, I think this has gone on too long. Like I was like, this is we yeah. we should have wrapped this up a while ago. You know, I get that it was like a nice thing. We saw Italy doing it, but um, you know, Italy's not in great shape right now. And yeah. uh <laughs> like <laughs> I'm like, maybe we're tempting something. Yeah. I don't know. I I just, I think the value of telling any joke, it's just that it makes you laugh and it's, it's funny to you. And
3: yeah.
2: and I think that I, t- I totally, if people don't like a joke, it's totally all right. Yeah. That's okay. I, I think that, yeah, you're allowed to say whatever you want. You really are. And the people that say you can't say anything anymore, it's, that's not true. You, you can say anything, But um, you just have to you just have to know that people get to say what they think about it now and they didn't used to. And so what you have to do is allow them to say what they think about it and not hate yourself, I guess, in the process. You have to sort of have that that feeling of like, I know that where I came from was not a place of. Um, malice or viciousness. Even if there was a viciousness in the joke, it's it was it didn't come from that.
0: Yeah. Um, I, it, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's like if if you care what they say, then you have a feeling about this. Like if you don't care what they say because you fully believe in it, then hypothetically, then it doesn't matter. I remember like there's Mark Maron. I, I always think of it this way: He's just like you can say whatever you want, but then whoever likes it, those are your fans, and like right. so you have to accept that. That's it. You can't be be the biggest community in the world if you want to do material that like literally is meant to push boundaries. Like that's yeah. It's yeah. um, I think about like the. I I don't know if I've heard you talk about it, but I can imagine you are like a like pro the idea of political correctness as like a force, not like that, not actually not like a force, but as like a factor that you mm-hmm. are working. A, with against or whatever, how do you how do you see political correctness? How do you see the line? air quotes the line? Like what is your relationship to that? How do you factor that in? How does that play into your comedy?
2: So political correctness for me, I think, is um, you know, as a comic, it feels like a really good challenge. It's not just as a comic, as a person too, you know, you're trying to, um, adapt and evolve as you, as you grow older. And as, as a comic, especially you, you don't want to, I mean, for me, at least I I should say, I don't, I don't really see the value in digging your heels into something. Um, but there's also um there's a and i don't think this is part of political correctness i think this is part of internet culture yeah yeah where there's a uh, a lack of let's say understanding or forgiveness or um there's like a this is where we draw the line and if this person messes up they don't get another chance and the, and i you know There's certain situations where I go, yeah, that's a hunt that makes a hundred percent sense to me. And then there's others where I feel a little like, huh, I'm a little conflicted about that. But overall, I I am absolutely I'm grateful to be doing comedy at a time like this Mm. because it's it's really fun. (laughs) It's a fun thing to uh to try to work with. And I think if you're trying to work against it, then you're not even really its easy. It's yeah. very lazy.
0: It, to I mean, I think it's, I don't know if I've heard anyone put it that way, but I do feel like there's the people like it's too hard to do comedy. Now it's a terrible time for comedy. And you're like, there's so many comedians right now. They all seem to be thriving and we're doing great. I mean, <laughs>
2: i it's really, it's, I'm like, I don't know who these people are talking about. I yeah. don't. It, yeah, it all feels like we're like everyone's so afraid and scared. and it's like but well, we're the ones locking up people's phones, yeah, you know what I mean? <laughs> it's like <laughs> just say you're scared, yeah,
0: you know what I mean? And uh, yeah, it's also like it's okay if everyone is like it's it's like the audience is sensitive the comedian is sensitive everyone is sensitive that is what's interesting it's interesting that you have your idea of what funny is and then you have to figure out when you're playing a room of another 100 whatever people and they have completely different ideas and like they yeah. don't and that's what's interesting or that's what makes it a challenge and that's like why we appreciate that comedians can do a thing that is hard which is make strangers laugh
2: yeah i think that there there's a really good example of this where i i was telling a joke about um, I'm currently working on jokes that surround the topic of miscarriage, right? Mm. And uh, that's a that's something that I have been through myself and went through last year um i I had recurring miscarriages, and I had had one three weeks before the special, mm. to be honest. And I was like, I almost wanted to wait. Because I knew I would write about this, but I was like, "Let's do that. Let's just do this, and then we'll do this, right?" Yeah. And but you can hear the beginning of a joke in my special that goes into pregnancy, and then I sort of had to rework it. Um. But I so I was I was on stage. I was telling these jokes, and they were going great. And I got um, a DM from someone who said uh, who was really upset with me. Who was like this is, you've ruined my, my birthday. I ruined her birthday. I mean, I, I, I was like, um, you know, I, there was a lot, I mean, first of all, there's a lot of jokes right there, but yeah. I, I didn't, you know, and I was like, let me just, I'll, let me take in what this woman's saying. And the truth is I thought to myself, I understand why she's so upset. Like mm-hmm. I really do. But I didn't have the same reaction to my miscarriage as she is having to hers. And that is what at the end of the day, I would have to pretend that I, that I did in order to make her feel better. And that that's for me, like where I won't, I won't cross that line because that's just inauthentic. So You know, there's times where you owe an apology and, and I don't see why you wouldn't just apologize. Yeah. And then there's times where apologizing, um, is truly just going, just pretending to be someone you're not. And, um, and so there's integrity on there's, it's like, which, where is your integrity and where, where do you draw the line? You know? With, it's tricky, but I think it's a case by case basis yeah. in general. With
0: that, did you change the joke at all? Even not even the joke. Did you change the setup? Probably more. I think to account for the possibility that there are people, like as we said, like you can tell the joke and and essentially write the joke in a way that it is, and every person like this will not like the joke, and and mm-hmm. that's okay. Not every joke is for every person. Clearly. Or you can write the joke and be like, "Can I write this joke?" Where it's almost exactly the same, but this person also liked it. Like, what did you?
2: Yeah, yeah. I that's exactly what I did. I was like, "Well, let me see if I can, you know, do this in a way where it's it's not dismissive Mm -hmm. of of something." Because when I'm, I will say that like when I was starting to tell the jokes, it was it was still fresh, and so it the urge to immediately do a joke about it was really my, my urge to get past the sad. Yeah. Let's move past that. Let's get to the joke. And the truth is if you're doing that on stage, you, you haven't, you haven't done enough work off stage Mm. because you can't be going to the audience to fix this stuff, you know, like that's psychotic. Yeah. So you really have to, I had to like think about how this how this made me feel and how I feel doing these jokes and am I ready to do them and should I revisit them later and so I I just sort of like stepped away from it for a bit just to see what else comes up because mm-hmm. something else will come up and I'm just going to like get a little space from it for now and it, then get back to it when I'm ready.
0: What I think what this, both this joke and that joke that you're working on sort of reflect, and I think what is, partly what you're doing that I think is quite interesting, which is there are, when we think of, in many ways, the people who do like, you know, darker jokes or edgier jokes or whatever, it's often like about ideas completely unrelated to them. They're just like, what's in the news? Let's do my version of that. Let's see where I can go. And almost all of yours, from this or like the you know, the jokes that you had about domestic abuse, they're like very specific personal places, which is a different thing. To, it's a challenging, I imagine, personally for you, but also like it does do a different thing to the audience. It is like aai don't, I don't know if I'd call, I don't know what the word I would call to describe what you're doing and how it's different, but it does seem, let me, I guess the question is, is that intentional? Like, did you, be like, if I'm going to do this stuff, I should have skin in the game. I I don't want to be a comedian who's just like throwing rocks at things that I have nothing to do with.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I don't see the point in um, in doing a joke about something that is, that you have no, well, no, I, that's not true. I do see the point. Um, it's just to laugh. But yeah. I, for me, I really, I mean, first of all, there's like, where I learned public speaking was in AA rooms. Hmm. So I was in, I was sober for years before I started comedy and the things that people laugh at in a 12 step meeting is, are very different than the things that people laugh at in a comedy club. Yeah. Okay. So there's that, which just baseline my sense of humor exists kind of in that realm. Right. And then There's the, uh, there's just the fact that it felt a lot like people were, you know, I saw people trying to joke about things that didn't, that weren't their experience and people were going after them and coming after them. And how do you, how do you really defend yourself when you don't really like when you have no experience with it? So I thought well, I'm comfortable talking about this stuff for the most part. If I'm not, I'm not going to say it. But yeah. if if I'm comfortable talking about it, then I can joke about it. And then they know that I'm coming from a place where it's like, I want people to walk away being like, oh, that not only was that funny, like I feel better. Mm. You know, I feel like things, things are bad, but they're not so bad. Yeah. Y- you know what I mean? <laughs> like... I I, just,
0: yeah. It gets that to, I feel like, I don't remember where I heard you said, but you basically like, it's like, I don't think you said, like, I don't think of myself as a dark comedian. I think of myself as like a very optimistic comedian. And I think that captures that aspect of you, which is like, like to the letter, you're like, oh, that's like, it's a darker subject or whatever. But like, your tone is always like, one, you're doing comedy about it. These are not lectures about sad subjects, but also like, you, like throughout all of this joke, like you laugh at parts of it. Like you laugh, like that still that joke, which seems to be where the beginning of the joke started, which is the part where you're just like, she's a sister I get along best with. You laugh to yourself at that. And I think that moment is part of what makes it work, which is like, oh, we're having fun here. This is like not an exercise to see. It's like truly like, this is like cathartic in like the truest sense of like, oh, this is a fun experience. Like obviously the subject is what it is, but like, you know, it's.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And I think that it's almost like, like when I watched um, Bo Burnham or I watched Annette, I thought to myself, like, this is, I have so much respect for that, for those moments where they are able to cry on stage and to really uh, do that because I could not, I couldn't do that. It's truly like something that I wouldn't, I like, like trying to comprehend outer space to me. Yeah. You know, Um, because it's
0: not, you can't imagine literally being able to then continue doing a show. You can't like, what is it about that, that?
2: I can't even imagine doing it, not just on stage, but like in public, like I've been told by my therapist several times, you know, you, you are the whole idea behind this thing that we're doing is for you to be able to cry outdoors. And I mean, I've like not gotten it. Yeah. And it's, there's times when I'll walk into that office, sit down on the couch, start crying before he walks in. Cause I've just been holding it. I've just been like walking around like, Oh God, I can't wait to get to therapy so I can cry. And it's like, you could do it wherever nobody's, this is New York. First of all, nobody cares. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> people are gonna like throw a towel over your head yeah, yeah, yeah. if anything so you know I just have I have a lot of respect for that I try to I try to be as open as I can but I I keep joking through it Yeah, yeah. you know yeah
0: cut to four years from now your special—just you crying the entire time
2: never I'll never do it the next- I won't do it
0: it, Mark the tape like, so we'll remember. <laughs>
2: <laughs> it's just me getting on stage crying.
0: And people love it. Like that's your signature Top thing. Top to bottom. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes. That would be...
2: There was, there was a... When I was like starting in comedy, I had this image, this like vision of how I would start my first special. I don't know how much money I thought I was going to be making, <laughs> but I, I wanted to swing onto the stage like pink in those like acrobatic yeah, yeah, yeah. things fall and do the whole special with blood running down my head. And I don't, <laughs> it's still not what I, what I do, but there's something about that. That's just still so funny to me. <laughs> like never address it, just bleeding.
0: Um, <laughs> you talk about it, and you mentioned already which the idea of you coming from money and um but more specifically you and you discuss it in the special you sort of like come from like major players in the Republican Party establishment your your yeah. grandfather was secretary of state and just sort of like it it's sort of like a, an unbelievable amount of like entrenched power um yeah and yeah. it's so unusual that and and it's and it's in your bio. It's just sort of like a really unusual fact. If you met anyone, then that was their fact. But as a result, like, did you feel like it's someone formed a sort of like morally, comp- not necessarily like relationship with good and bad, but like, how did it, sh- one, how do you think it informs sort of your perspective that is part of what we're talking about here? Like, it, it, because like, it's your grandfather. I think you joke about like, they, it's like, I can complain all I want, but like, I I they paid for my college or whatever. Like, mm-hmm. how is that? Yeah. How is that also a factor of it? Because it is so unusual. It's such a specific background for any person to have,
2: right? Yeah. It's like, um, so you're asking me, how did it affect my voice? Do you in do, fe- I and mean, do
0: you feel like it did? Do you feel like part of your voice is a reflection of growing up as yourself? When this is sort of the backdrop of, it. and maybe it did it. I mean, like that's fair. Also, I just was like, it's it so. unusual.
2: affected. It definitely affected the the whole like, I won't cry in public thing. I mean, that's for sure. Um, and I think um, I don't know. I mean, I know that this says something. Yeah, I don't. It, which is that I cannot stand to have my family listen to my comedy. Like I hide it like a drug addiction and I, I don't tell them what's happening. Mm. Um, my sisters know, um, my mom knows, but I don't, I don't share it with them. I don't want them to know about it. Mm. And it's like, you know, the, the more I do it, the more I'm like, well, they're going to find out. And and I know that they've heard some of it. And I know for a fact that my granddad's heard the joke that I do about him. Um, it, he just said something to me about it like this year. So I don't know. Wh- and it came out like two years ago or something. So, but I also feel like it's so weird. I it's It's so weird because when you come from this like, powerful political family or whatever. What people don't realize is like, I have my granddad's secretary's email. You know what I mean? I'm not like, I'm not like entrenched. Yeah. I had the benefits of it. Like yeah. I knew I had it good when I was a kid. Cause I was like hunting for Easter eggs at the white house. And I was like, well, I know this isn't normal. Um, but, and you know, people were like impressed by it. And they would be like, wow, so what about, and there was all this focus on him, but it also kind of gave me this, um, and I'm grateful for this, which is that it gave me this kind of understanding that all, all public attention is sort of meaningless. Mm -hmm. Like it, at the end of the day, he's my granddad and when I have to go to like some work event of his, of his, it sucks, you know? Yeah. Like, and I remember being at the White House as a kid and being like, wait, so the president rents this place? Like, I didn't get it. I never, it, I was a kid. So none yeah. of that really was registering. And it didn't even register to me until I started comedy. And I was like, oh, this is something unique about me that I never really put any thought into and that I'm, I'm hearing, uh, you know, I'm hearing a ton of comics talk about how broke they are and how, and I'm like, well, I just feel like a fraud saying that. Um, not because I was living off of my parents or anything like that, but like I could call them for money whenever I wanted. Yeah. Yeah. So I knew that I was not, that wouldn't ring true. Yeah. So I was like, I have to find a way to talk about this and um, make it funny.
0: Yeah. Um, so back to sort of the the joke, now that you have done it, it you know, we're talking right before the special comes out, you know, creatively, did it feel like, you know, that, now that's out of the way. Now I can sort of move on. Or did it feel like mm-hmm. a, a door opening of like, oh, now I, this is the path that I now go down.
2: Well, um, that's an interesting question because I thought for sure this is the path that I'm going to go down. Yeah. But then all these good things started happening in my life. I met my husband and... um, And, like, COVID... Even though COVID was, like, awful, I was trapped in a house with my fiancé. And we had gotten, we'd gotten engaged like six months after we started dating. So it was this whirlwind of like, oh my God, like this is crazy and fun. And, and we started this podcast together and we're doing, I just got to play for like a year and be silly. And, um, and so everything that I, every place that I thought I was going was like, maybe that's not where I'm supposed to go. Mm. You know? I mean, there's still, jokes about tough stuff that we've dealt with. I mean, obviously, like, the miscarriage stuff is tough, but there's also a ton of silly jokes from just spending all of that time with him and from getting married and being not a typical, not really like a great bride. Yeah. And what that feels like and all of that.
0: Um, Have you ever watched uh, the interview Anderson Cooper did with Stephen Colbert where they talk about grief?
2: I think I have. Yeah, 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 yeah. There's
0: a clip that goes around and there's a part where basically like Stephen says that he he learned, the. He, for those who don't know, Stephen lost two of his brothers and his father at, at a young age. And Stephen says like he learned to love the thing he most wished didn't happen. And then he's explaining and he goes like, it is a gift to exist and existence comes with suffering. Um, And I could really yeah. never imagine you putting it that way. Of uh, being like this is a gift <laughs> from god but right. how do you put it how would you put this sort of your relationship to this thing happening th- it being this sort of where it is in your stand up you being a stand up as it, relates to it. how how does it sit and how do you, how do you reckon with it
2: okay so i remember being on the phone um with somebody and I was crying and crying. Oh, it was my therapist. It was my therapist. I was sitting on the phone. I was crying hysterically. And I was like, this is so bad and blah, blah, blah. Like, it's just, things are just bad. And he was like, I keep hearing you say that things are bad. He's like, but just because you're crying doesn't mean something bad is happening. Mm -hmm. But it was, it was very much something bad. Like it was something in my life that was if you talk to anybody on the street, you'd be like, Hey, is this good or bad? They'd all say bad. And I, I was like, what do you mean? What could you possibly mean by that? And he said, why don't you sit down and like write about it and see where that goes. And I thought, okay, I'll do that. And I sat down and I said, well, if this isn't bad, then what is it?
3: Hmm.
2: You know? And I basically came to this point where I realized that things are good or bad because we make them that, that everything is inherently neutral. And so that something that's good will have bad in it. Mm. And something that's bad will have good in it. And that it's all, it all exists together at the same time. We don't live in a dualistic
3: mm.
2: world as much as people really want it to. And I think that the people who are grasping to label everything as good or bad, while I understand the urge to do that and how that makes all the sense in the world, according to the way that we think, um, there's a lack of spirit hmm. spirituality in it. There's the truth is that yeah, you can you can learn to love the worst thing. Or the thing that you wished hadn't happened, yeah. but and I wouldn't say that I love it, but it's made me who I am, and I love who I am. So I think that that's enough for now.
3: Yeah.
0: <laughs> uh, so now it's time for our final segment. It's called the Laughing Round. It is uh, like a lightning round. Uh, but because this is a comedy podcast, I call it uh, the Laughing Round.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I saw that. That's good. That's great. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't laugh before. <laughs> no, it's not funny.
0: So it's fair. Um, you uh, do you have a favorite joke? Joke, like a street joke.
2: Oh God, it's it's a joke that is um, it's a it's a Rodney Dangerfield joke. Is that does that That's count? Fun. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, but it's people aren't going to like it. We'll so <laughs> Rodney Dangerfield has a joke. It's awful where he goes, um, I know I don't look like it, but I do pretty well with the ladies. This is my shitty Dangerfield sure. impression. He's like, I do pretty well with the ladies. And then he goes, I'm a rapist.
3: <laughs> and I'm just like, what? It <laughs> kills me every
2: time. I can read it on a page and die laughing at that joke. It's like, oh man, it's just so funny. And it's like, I'll do it in a green room with a bunch of comics and we all just like roll on the floor at that joke because it's too good. It's so bad, but it's so good.
0: I really didn't think it was going that way. And I knew it was supposed to be I a know. bad joke. Like I knew it was going to be I like, know. A, like a, well done to
3: <laughs> I that know. guy. Uh,
0: is there a joke <laughs> that you wish uh, you could steal a joke? That you saw have another comedian to go. I wish I had that joke. It's another dimension. Everything's exactly the same, but that joke is your joke and you get to tell it.
2: I mean, there's so many, there's like so many of them, but, um... oh man, I, uh, the easy answer is like, no, that's not me. Um, but the truth is I, there's like, uh, my husband has a bunch of jokes that I am furious about that he, Oh, he has a joke about how we both, um, present as it's, we both present so gay that it's almost queer baiting. Like <laughs> I, I am so, um, butch and he, seems so feminine that we just look like two people denying our sexuality mm-hmm. together. That's not the joke, but like the way that he tells it is so funny. And I got, I got furious the first time I heard it. Cause I was like, man, like, I don't even remember which one of us made that observation first, you know? And, and so when I, when I hear jokes about our life yeah. come out of his mouth and they're funnier than the ones that I wrote, I get furious. I mean, I want all of those, but it's fine. He can
0: have them. Um, I know the answer <laughs> to this, but I, I know for a fact that anytime anyone hears your name, they want to know the story of it. And if someone's listening to this point, they might have already Googled and I want to make sure they get to know, just tell the basic stuff of like, what your name is, why it's this blah, blah, blah. Cause it, I want to yeah. save them the time where they don't have to Google cause I know they're going to want to know.
3: So
2: my name is Rosebud because when I was a kid, I was named after a grandmother of mine, but I've never been called my birth name. So everyone called me, it, my birth name's Rosemary. And then, which to me sounds like that's a, that's a name that works within an age bracket of like 85 to later. Mm-hmm. And like of uh, 45 to 60 and then i don't know there's just so it only works for cer- certain yeah. decades and um so i was called rosebud as a kid i don't remember why it came about um one story is that my dad said my cheeks were so red that he called me rosebud um they never watched citizen kane it wasn't a citizen kane reference uh It just came around and I was called Rosebud and then that was shortened to bud, which kind of explains my entire personality. (laughs) I was a child that was walking around with a trucker's name and um, like I worked at like I had my own mechanic shop. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
0: Thank you. Do you have a a short story of an interaction with a, a legendary comedian living or dead?
2: Yeah, I mean... I I always think of like my favorite moment uh in terms of my comedy like dreams, right? And it was like it was an interaction with um with Amy Schumer and she had reached out and had me uh, come on tour with her for um for her last special which was awesome. And um it was probably my favorite thing she's done. It was so personal and mm. so real and um and so i go on i go on tour with her it's the first night that i'm doing a show with her and it's in this big big theater and she walks up to me and she goes you've done a theater this big right this is after (laughs) this is after like getting on the private plane you know Mm -hmm. and like doing the and like living like that for a day and being like, this is amazing. And I'm so excited. And I'm like working with one of my heroes and I, and she goes, you've done a theater this big, right? And I, and I was like, no. And she goes, well, what's the she sort of like pretends to be concerned. She was like, what's the biggest theater you've done? And I was like eight, 800 people. And she turns to the guy who worked at, at the theater and he goes, she goes, how many people are there? And he goes, um, 3,600. And I just shit my pants. I just like she. She looks at me and she goes, "You're gonna nail it." <laughs> and she just walks away. And I was like, "Come back!" I just wanted to be like, "Can you can you hold me or something?" Yeah. And um, and I was like, it was the most nervous I've ever been. I was so scared, <laughs> and it was, but it was the perfect thing to say. Yeah, yeah. To just kind of like
3: just it'll be fine.
2: Yeah. She I just felt like she was making me feel better and also making fun of how nervous I was at the same time. It was like the perfect combination of comfort and roasting. Yeah. You know?
0: (laughs) Um, can you think of an example of a joke that you thought was so funny that you tried once, maybe a few times, you're like, this is so funny. The audience never liked it, never got it but you will go to your grave being like i was right and the every one was wrong
2: yeah i put it in my special
3: <laughs> which joke
2: <laughs> and it doesn't fully work it really doesn't and i won't <laughs> let go of it i still think it's funny it's the joke about how um i mean as a as an addict i just say like it's really only an opioid crisis if you're not on opioids and <laughs> like... People don't love it. They don't. Yeah. And but let me tell you something. People who do heroin would love that joke. And I so I just do it for them cuz I yeah. figure if they're going to see it anywhere they're going to see it on YouTube. Yeah, yeah. Um and I'm like I I truly just left it in. I was like there I took it out at first and then I was like no, I I don't care that it's not working. I want it in. <laughs> I don't care. I just they're not worried about the crisis they are chill yeah you know
0: I like the idea of like slowly it will like virally work its way through that community and you'll become like their queen
2: (laughs) (laughs) yeah just the sober queen of (laughs) heroin addicts everywhere
0: (laughs) that is the end that thank you so much (laughs) (laughs) thank you that's it for another episode of Good One. You can stream Whiskey Fists on the Comedy Central YouTube channel. Follow Rosebud Baker on social media at Rosebud Baker. Good One is produced by myself, Jelani Carter, and Camila Salazar. Godmashrigashin did our theme song. Write a review and rate the show on Apple Podcasts, five stars please. Email any comments, questions, or laughing around suggestions to GoodOnePodcast at gmail.com or tweet at us at Podcast. I'm Jesse David Fox, and you can follow me at Jesse Fox. Good One is a production of Vulture in the Box Media Podcast Network. We'll be back next Thursday. Have a good one. Support for this episode of Good One came from the wondering podcast, WikiHole. WikiHole takes listeners on a wild journey through the most bizarre catacombs of everyone's favorite crowdsourced online encyclopedia. Listen to host Darcy Cardin and her funniest comedian friends dive deep into the obscure, the absurd, and the curiously inane. There's truly something for everyone with a taste for oddly fascinating information. Whether you're interested in Crystal Pepsi, Lenny Kravitz, or how Cardin's Fear of Dolphins connects to sets and hats. Follow WikiHole on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can list the WikiHole ad-free by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts.
1: Hi, I'm Ben. I suffer from a condition called writer's block. It strikes when I'm at work. That's why I choose Canva Magic Write. It works fast.